a sip more on my living room flow. Play Nintendo with seasonino. Pick up my phone, say Papa not on. All night, mad in the morning. Spin my V, smoke on my w- tattoo on. Happy holidays and welcome to DFS MVP, Daily Fantasy Sports Most Valuable Podcast, presented by 4 for 4 Football. I'm 4 for 4 Senior DFS Editor Chris Raybon, joined as always by 4 for 4 Associate Editor and Roster Coach Co-Founder TJ Hernandez. Happy holidays, TJ. What's up, Chris? Happy holidays to you, too. Uh, excited for week 16. We got a, a very interesting week. Uh, last week was the lowest expected scoring week of the year. This is the second lowest expected scoring week of the year. Uh, we got a main slate with no Le'Veon, no Antonio, no Odell, uh, DJ in a questionable matchup. So um, lots of decisions to be made this week, not just jam in a, a couple top running backs and walk away. So it should be a fun week. Yeah, definitely an interesting slate. We'll get into all that. Our DFS theory segment, we will bring in Joe Holka of PredictiveFantasySports.com, rushing expectation, 4 for 4. Um, he actually took down first place in the 4 for 4 championship on DraftKings last week. So we're going to talk about his lineup construction. I think it'll be really valuable for for you listeners out there to hear how he arrived at some of his plays. He had some really great low-owned plays, including a Breeze Cooks stack. So that'll be cool. But first, as always, the song that played us in was Junior Mafia, Get Money, off their 1995 album, Conspiracy and... As you said, TJ, how have we not had this song on the pod yet? I know we got we got the shmoney theme every week, uh, so it's only fitting that that we have the the get money anthem pretty much. So very very fitting song for this week. Right, and because it's the holiday season and we're talking about getting money, and this is a DFS podcast, I just want to take time out to say that um, we are unbelievably um, lucky to all just be. Um, playing fantasy sports for money and in some cases large sums of money so I just want to say to you guys anyone listening you know remember how lucky you are and take the time out you know take you know even if it's just a tiny small percentage of your bankroll or your winnings and you know see if you can share that with others in need in some way or, or give to charity you know I won't mention any here because I think they're all worthy but you know any any charity or any any way you can give back you know with with some of that because we're just so 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 lucky to be playing for for money and we're here sitting here deciding on whether we should play David Johnson and what stakes we should play and there's some people that you know with with you know the amount of lineups that we're playing um that could feed them for like a year or something like that so keep that in mind this holiday season um stay in the given spirit um and make sure you have a happy holidays but let's get right into the quarterbacks for this week, I'll go with Drew Brees, as I almost always do when he's at home, 8,500 on FanDuel, 7,400 on DraftKings in the Dome versus the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, 339.9 passing yards and 202, excuse me, 2.52 passing touchdowns per game at home since 2014 for Brees. The Saints have the third highest implied total, although I don't think you really need an implied total to know that the Saints have a lot of upside when they're playing at home. 
And Tampa Bay is a mediocre 17th in quarterback schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed, which is raw fantasy points allowed adjusted by strength of schedule. And that's available with a 4 for 4 subscription. The Buccaneers just got picked apart, really, by Dak Prescott last week. 32 of 36 for 279 yards, only four incompletions. So like Breeze at home this week. Uh, love Breeze at home. Always do. Uh, actually going to touch on that when we get to the key stats. Uh, my quarterback, a guy that um, people are probably going to shy away from the name this week, but I think he definitely merits some strong consideration, and that's Blake Bortles. He is priced at $6,200 on FanDuel, $5,000 on DraftKings, facing the Titans at home. Blake Bortles' price is the lowest it's been all year on FanDuel, and this is his fourth straight week at minimum salary on DraftKings. Uh, If we look at the uh, 4-for-4 projections that you mentioned, he's actually our top projected value on DraftKings, a top two value on FanDuel. Uh, Tennessee ranks last in schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed to opposing quarterbacks. Over the last six weeks, teams are throwing 72% of the time in the red zone, and Jacksonville has been one of the most pass-heavy teams in the red zone, uh, throwing almost two-thirds of the time inside the 20. So when those scoring opportunities do come up, Jacksonville likes to throw. Teams like to throw against Tennessee. And over the last uh, eight weeks, Tennessee has allowed six 300-yard passers um, only two teams have allowed more 300-yard passers all season. Uh, so we do know that that Blake Bortles does have uh, garbage time hero in him. So Jacksonville is, they are an underdog, but they're going to throw a lot, and they have a really good matchup to do it. So I really like Blake Bortles this week. Yeah, I do too. I love him in tournaments. Uh, that being said, mm-hmm. I will say that I was reading something from the Jaguars – local beat I believe it was that said one of the reasons that coach Gus Bradley got fired was that he had unwavering loyalty to Blake Bortles Mm -hmm. so I would think that this week there's a non-zero chance that he's at risk for an in-game benching Mm -hmm. Um, do you agree with that or would you play him in cash or do you think the Mm -hmm. risk of benching is too great no, his floor is literally zero, and um, although I do like him, um, I'm probably going to be – I'm not going to be underweight on him, but he'll probably end up being um, a little bit lower owned than I would have considering uh, how small my quarterback pool us- usually is for GPPs. Um, if I would usually have 20 or 25% of a quarterback, I might only have 15% of Bortles this week. Um, but I-, I do think his ceiling is very high. Um, in addition to the – uh, possible benching, which um, is very hard to predict. Uh, I wrote up in the offseason about um, big game quarterbacks and quarterbacks that win tournaments or put up these really huge games generally aren't turnover prone because if you um, if you give up one or two possessions, it really limits your chances um, at having a huge game. I mean, teams are getting maybe seven or eight possessions in a game, so to lose uh, a third or a quarter of those is a ton, and that could automatically turn into him getting benched. Um, so his floor is extremely low, but I still do like him a lot, especially if we consider, I mean, I think people are going to be a little more scared of the name um, than attracted to the matchup. But I think he's still going to end up being a sub 5% on quarterback. Um, so even if I have 15% of him, could still be way overweight on the field. Oh, yeah, and the price is 
great, you know, on both sites, on, on every site pretty much. And, you know, as you mentioned, Tennessee dead last in schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed to quarterback. So I definitely love it. My key stat, the Arizona Cardinals have allowed the most rushing yards in the league to quarterbacks at 313, and they've allowed the fifth highest quarterback yards per carry at 4.97, and they face a mobile quarterback in Russell Wilson this week. I've been dying to get that Russell Wilson magic that made me all my money at the end of last year, so hopefully this is the (laughs) week. Uh, My key stat, we've talked a lot about opposing quarterback correlations on this podcast in the past. Uh, this year, New Orleans and Washington are the only defenses that have allowed seven 300-yard passers. Uh, probably not coincidentally, Drew Brees and Kirk Cousins are the only quarterbacks that have thrown for at least 300 yards seven-plus times. Very interesting. Matt Barkley has had two 300-plus-yard games with multiple touchdown passes he's looked very competent he had one game against San Francisco where he averaged over 10 yards per attempt but he only threw 18 times because it was snowing and the 49ers were tanking and Jordan Howard was going nuts so given that he's 6300 on FanDuel and 5k on DraftKings the minimum in Washington is second to last in schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed to the quarterback position, is Barkley viable in cash games? Yeah, I mean, we talked about Bortles. I think people can can look at the price, um, look at the projections, look at the matchup, and think if one's viable for cash, then the other should be. I don't think that's the case. Um, I think Barkley is cash viable depending on what you need to do elsewhere. Uh, there, There's a lot of affordable value. There aren't a lot of guys that feel like you have to pay up for. But if you do find yourself in a situation where you want to pay up, I completely get going with Barkley and Cash. Uh, we didn't plan this, but my key stat was based around Washington's uh, pass defense, uh, correlating passing games. So obviously there's a pretty decent floor there. Uh, this whole uh, Bears team just has a really good matchup. So could put up a nice number this week. Yeah, I'm not opposed to it. Um, I probably won't go there just because there's only one quarterback slot. And when Drew Brees is at home, I pretty much just auto-play him. Um, it, it's worked, I think, 12 out of the last 13 times with mm-hmm. the one time not being the last. So, um, But, yeah, I certainly think he's viable just based on everything we just spoke about. And I know some people out here will probably be wanting to get some Sunday slate action going on Christmas Day. Might be bored, don't want to hear the... Uh, the boring chatter at the family dinner for, for eight hours straight <laughs> might want to escape and check on how their players are doing. So um, I don't think the Sunday slates are actually out yet. We have the Sunday salaries because there's some Thursday to Monday slates, but I'm sure that they will release the Sunday slates maybe uh, Thursday night or Saturday night or something like that. Uh, who's your top quarterback on the Sunday slate? Is it unquestionably banner? You do you like maybe a Joe Flacco uh, for a little cheaper or, or even a guy like, uh, Trevor Simeon. Yeah, I mean, I think on the short slates, you do have to figure out a way to differentiate yourself. Um, I still think that Ben is going to be my top quarterback overall. We've talked about their home road splits a lot. Uh, they're going to be at home. Uh, they have a chance to win a division title this week, uh, them being the Steelers. And that Kansas City-Denver game, um, 
I mean, those are two teams that, that don't give up a lot of points. I think it could be low scoring. I don't think the weather is going to be extremely prohibitive. I think it's going to be a little bit rainy. Um, I don't think the temperature is going to be too low. I just don't see a, a ton of points going off in that game. I, I think if you're going to uh, stack a game, I think you could get most of your exposure to Ben, some exposure to Flacco. We just talked about correlating passing games. I think that's the game you want to target, uh, favoring Ben quite a bit more than Flacco. Gotcha. Yeah, I pretty much agree there. Ben is another guy. When he's at home, it's just autoplay, Brown, autoplay, and that's that. Running back, Jordan Howard, he's 7200 on FanDuel, very affordable, and 6300 on DraftKings, also very affordable. Going up against the Washington Redskins, he's at home. He's a small home underdog, but the Redskins are 27th in schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed to running backs. The Redskins... I'm sure a lot of people saw this on Monday night, just allowed Jonathan Stewart to run for his most yards since December of 2014. He had over 130. Um, Howard has 110 yards in four straight games and 99 or more yards in each of his last seven games. And he's been averaging 20.3 touches per game since the week nine bye. Is um, a Barkley Howard stack in GPPs viable? Oh, man, you're just taking all the stacks I wrote up. (laughs) (laughs) It's absolutely viable. Um, I I believe Washington is one of the worst teams. We also have a stat on 4 for 4 in the schedule-adjusted section for total team offense. So that essentially combines the points of the quarterbacks, running backs, receivers, etc. And Washington is, uh, I believe, bottom five in that category as well. And... We really don't know exactly where the passing game targets are going to go because Norman will probably be on Alshon Jeffrey. I think Cameron Meredith has a really good matchup because, if I'm not mistaken, Greg Toller and I believe it was um, another one of their slot corners, second-year man, Quentin Dunbar, um, went out both with concussions and now Monday to Saturday. That's a pretty short week to get cleared for a concussion and Meredith has been playing in the slot, so I mean, I think he'll probably get some targets. Washington's been terrible against tight ends, so maybe Daniel Brown reappears. Deontay Thompson's been getting, I think he has over nine targets in two of Barkley's starts, so not exactly sure where the the targets are going to go, but I do like Barkley's upside, and I think it's a pretty cheap way to get exposure to an entire team's offense um, by going with... Barkley and Howard so yeah I love that stack yeah me too uh, moving on to my top running back of the week DeMarco Murray at $8,400 on FanDuel $7,000 on DraftKings at Jacksonville uh, as a four and a half point favorite David Johnson's the only running back on the main slate averaging more touches per game over the last six weeks than DeMarco and that's only by one and a half touches per game so not a huge difference there on DraftKings you're getting DeMarco priced as the running back five but at a $2,200 discount compared to uh, the top running back, David Johnson, a $2,000 discount compared to LaShawn McCoy. On FanDuel, it's a little bit closer. You're only getting a $600 discount on Murray compared to David Johnson, but still that workload isn't that far apart. I'm not too worried about, um, I've heard some people talking about the the Derrick Henry splits of late. Uh, DeMarco Murray's still getting a ton of looks in this offense in Tennessee should be in a, a, a pretty good spot to feed him the rock as favorites. 
Yeah, man. Derrick Henry, it was frustrating last week because I did have quite a bit of Murray. And, um, I mean, he still had a pretty solid game, I think over 20 points. But, um, he did get vultured. I think they are working Henry in a bit, a bit more. But Tennessee is also just one of the top rushing teams in the league. So Murray still pretty much has more upside than almost every running back um, just because he's on such a run-heavy team and he's playing so well. And he's still going to get a ton of work um, in the red zone. So like Murray... Key stat, the 49ers and the Bills lead the NFL in games allowed of multiple rushing touchdowns. The 49ers have allowed multiple rushing touchdowns eight times, while the Bills have done so seven times. Now, Todd Gurley will likely be owned quite a bit. Um, Not sure how much Jay Ajayi will be owned. My key stat, uh, looking at a stat that I haven't touched on too much this year, but uh, we have touched on it before. If we looked at if we look at average touches over the last six weeks, Frank Gore is actually the top dollar per touch value at running back on both FanDuel and DraftKings. Um, you mentioned Demarco TJ, so I guess first of all, Demarco's eighty four hundred on FanDuel, and David Johnson is eighty seven hundred. DJ is at Seattle, and then on FanDuel you have Shady McCoy. He's home favorite against the Dolphins at 9,100. So I was going to ask you DJ or Shady, but before that, DJ or DeMarco on FanDuel? Uh, it's it's pretty close. I think it's going to come down to um, how much you need that salary. I think if you're paying that far up, probably can go with, uh, with DJ. $600 isn't... A huge difference, and I do still think he has a higher floor, even though the touches are a little bit closer um, over the past six weeks. David Johnson's still just going to get so much work um, in the passing game near the goal line, even though uh, Arizona is eight-point underdog projected to score less than 18 points. There's a pretty good chance that most of that workload's going to go to David Johnson, um, but uh, only on Fandle because the prices are, are a little bit closer. And just overall, who's the who's a better raw point play this week for you, DJ or Shady? I think probably Shady, but it's close. Um, like, like I just mentioned, I'm I'm a little bit worried about DJ's upside because Arizona is projected to score less than 18 points. Um, if he doesn't get in the end zone, obviously uh, that limits his upside a lot. Arizona hasn't been as running back heavy in terms of allocating their touches as they were um, earlier in the year for the first nine or ten games pretty much the most running back heavy team in the league Uh, over the last six weeks the bills are allocating 64 percent of their touches to running back which is the third most in the league arizona allocating just over 58 percent 14th most but if we look at the the touch share running back dj's still way higher getting 86 percent of the running back touches compared to uh, 64% uh, for McCoy, but I do think game script could bring their overall volume pretty close. I do think Shady has more uh, touchdown upside, so probably Shady by a slight hair this week. What do you think DJ's ownership is going to be in like the big tournaments? Man, I, I, I think because Le'Veon Bell isn't um, isn't on the same slate, it'll be. Uh, a, a little bit higher than we might expect in this spot, given the matchup against Seattle. Uh, if we adjust for strength of schedule, Seattle's still really good against running backs. I, I still think it could it could sniff that like twenty percent mark. 
Yeah, I was thinking about that. Like, I think it's an interesting week to fade those top two guys. Mm-hmm. Um, this, you know, I could be wrong here, but obviously, but I, I kind of see this Seattle Arizona game. I kind of see Seattle blowing them out. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, Arizona just got eliminated last week from the playoffs on a really back-breaking penalty that was a really questionable call, and now they have to travel to Seattle. And you know, I don't know how much they're really going to be in it. Whereas Seattle, if they win their final two games, they get a first round bye. So I could see Seattle kind of having one of those, you know, thirty-five to three or something like that games where Arizona doesn't even get into the end zone. I'm sure DJ will get his hundred yards either way. But yeah, I could see that. So um, and then we never know what's going to happen with Gillisley. Um, obviously, I think these two guys are still the top two raw point plays, but there there is a case to be made for fading them in tournaments just because I think everyone has become so accustomed to just jamming in two really stud running backs that I think that's going to be the case again uh, this week. And there are some other interesting plays in kind of the uh, middle tiers. Um, uh, TJ, on FanDuel, you obviously only have two running back slots. So is there any merit to using one of them on Ty Montgomery in cash? He's only 6,300. So you have a lot of savings there, but do you even need it? Yeah, I I think you kind of just said it at the end there. I just don't think you need to do it this week. Um, If, if there was a spot where you needed to go down in value at running back, the the touch volume looks like it's going to be there. I'm still a little weary about um, trusting green Bay to, uh, just load up Montgomery with touches. I mean, they did last week, but over the course of the season, they've been one of the least running back heavy teams. Pretty tough matchup against Minnesota. Uh, the thing Montgomery has going for him is that there just isn't really another running back in his price range that uh, jumps off the page on FanDuel. I mean, you got Rawls at 6,200, which is okay. Mark Ingram at 6,300, which is okay, but I, I don't think you're uh, just going to snap those guys in there um, automatically over time, Montgomery. Uh, I, I get it, but I, I don't think you'll need to do it this week. Yeah, I'm kind of with you there. That's kind of what I was getting at as well. It's, uh, you know, I don't really think you need to start searching for value in weird places this week. I think it's pretty clear cut for the most part. Moving on to wide receiver, Julian Edelman is 6,900 on uh, FanDuel, 67 on DK going up against the New York Jets. The Patriots are highly likely to throw against the Jets. Um, they've been throwing 45 times per game uh, against this Todd Bowles version of the Jets in three meetings. And despite Edelman's snaps being down over the last three weeks to 65%, he leads the NFL in targets per game over that span. At 13, he's had 12, 15, and 12 in his last three games. His 11.1 targets per game since Brady returned in week five also leads the NFL over that span, and he's had 11-plus targets in five straight games. So I'm not really concerned about him not playing as many snaps. I think if he's going to not get banged up run blocking for LeGarrette Blunt or whatever, you know, that's better because when he's on the field, he's running routes and he's catching passes from Tom Brady in what should be a really easy matchup. The Jets seem to have just mentally checked out. I mean, Sheldon Richardson basically confirmed it by um snapchatting some ridiculous things that i won't repeat here but um yeah i think edelman has a really good matchup and then tj you mentioned blake borders at qb 
And I think this is the week to play Allen Robinson. He's 5,600 on Sandu and 4,600 on DraftKings going up against the Tennessee Titans who do rank dead last in wide receiver schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed in addition to ranking dead last in quarterback fa- schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed. Now, A-Rob has been dismal over his last five games. 10 catches, 105 yards, and just one touchdown on 32 targets. But if you look closer at his matchups, he faced Darius Slay. He faced the Broncos. That's pretty much, you know, you're not really going to produce against them. He faced Xavier Rhodes. He faced A.J. Bouye, who's, uh, I believe, in the top five cornerback rankings in PFF, has just played really well this year. Kind of came out of nowhere, but played really well. And then the fifth matchup was against uh, Rex Ryan's defense on the road, which is never easy uh, to play against either especially when your quarterback is struggling. So we know A-Rob still has upside. He did have a nine-catch, 107-yard, uh, one-touchdown game in Week 10, which is not too long ago. Um, his Fanduel price is the lowest since Week 7 of his rookie year, which was 2014, and his DraftKings price is uh, at its second-lowest point since then. So, uh, you know, I know his price has been tempting over the past few weeks, and he hasn't showed up, but I, I really think this is the week for him. Yeah, I like both of those guys a lot. Um, obviously, I touched on Bortles. Love Edelman, uh, only receiver on the main slate with a 30% target share over the last six weeks. Uh, my my favorite wide receiver this week is Michael Crabtree. He is $6,200 on FanDuel, $6,100 on DraftKings. I actually talked him up and wrote him up last week. Going right back to the well this week, he is our top projected value on 4 for 4 on FanDuel. He's a top two value on DraftKings. Uh, one of just nine wide receivers with a 26% market share or higher over the last six weeks on the main slate. Second most red zone looks of any wide receiver on the main slate. He's seen 11 looks inside the red zone over the last six games. Only Jordy Nelson has seen more. And against the Colts, this game is expected to be the highest scoring of the week. Uh, 53 point over under spread of just three and a half. So should be lots of scoring. So those red zone looks should come into play this week. Crabtree's obviously been the favorite target uh, of Derek Carr lately. Amari Cooper, not even in the top 36 in terms of market share over the past six weeks at the wide receiver position. So really focusing in on Crabtree there. Another guy that I really like, we kind of just touched on this game, Doug Baldwin, $7,000 on FanDuel, $6,000 on DraftKings. Uh, This is his lowest price in six weeks on DraftKings. He's been fairly consistent seeing six plus targets in five straight games five catches in each of those games hasn't had uh the any of those huge blow-up games that we've uh, seen in the past from baldwin but you talked about we we kind of expect this game to uh, be a blowout for the reasons that you mentioned arizona ranks 30th and wide receiver adjusted fantasy points allowed uh so a lot of that scoring could come from baldwin uh arizona's allowing the third highest touchdown rate through the air of any defense on the main slate over the last six weeks. Just a ton of scoring opportunity for Russell Wilson's favorite receiver. Yeah, definitely. And I know friend of the podcast, Peter Jennings, is just cringing every time you give those anti-Cooper pro-Crabtree stats. (laughs) Shout out to him. But yeah, I think it's really interesting with Arizona because they, they have, whether Honey Badger has played or not, they seem to just be getting torched in the slot. Willie Sneed caught eight passes 
last week against them. Jarvis Landry went for 103 yards the week before that. Jamison Crowder caught a touchdown the week before that. Mo Sanu caught eight balls the week before that. Jeremy Curley has had seven for 71 and one against them and eight for 102 and one against them in, in his two games. Um, and in, in Baldwin in the first game against um, the Cardinals caught six passes for 69 yards on nine targets led Seahawks wide receivers in all those categories. So they seem to be vulnerable in the slot. I don't, I mean, I think Patrick Peterson, you know, has traveled to the slot at times, but Cardinals have been playing a little more zone lately. So I don't think it's too much of a concern there. I do like Baldwin uh, this week as well. Key stat. You guys have probably seen me tweet this, but Taylor Gabriel has seven touchdowns on his last 28 touches. To put that in perspective, Julio Jones has needed 99 touchdowns to score the same amount. 99 touches, excuse me, to score the same amount of touchdowns. Yeah, so is that is that sustainable? Um, well, I mean, is Julio even going to start now? <laughs> like, I think I think he kind of should, you know, I mean, I think he got to start Robinson and Gabriel, right? If anyone should be benched, it's Sanu. Um, yeah, no, I mean, no, it's obviously not sustainable, but um, the guy is good at scoring touchdowns. I think he's just way too expensive on DraftKings this week. I, I still, I think he's still 5,900 on FanDuel, especially mm-hmm. if Julio comes back. I think Gabriel's ownership will be super low. Um, and I think he's a good tournament play there, but on DraftKings, I probably fade him either way. My key stat: only two wide receivers on the main slate have more red zone targets since Week Ten than Malcolm Mitchell. Another good play in that Jets Pats game. T.Y. Hilton and Mike Evans this week, uh, both in games with over unders above fifty. Evans only has twenty two targets in his last three games. And then Hilton um, averages 25 less yards and only half of the amount of TDs he scores at home when he's on the road. So Hilton's on the road this week. You know, Evans' targets are down. TJ, either one of those guys, cash game viable. The reason that I'm I'm not really uh, targeting either of these guys, well, Evans I think is pretty obvious for me. I just don't think it's a good idea to pay all the way up um, this week, especially for a guy like Evans. Uh, his volume's a little bit down. They're spreading the ball out a little bit more in that offense, getting guys like Cameron Brait more involved. Uh, four players saw at least five targets last week, so it's not just zeroed in on Evans like it was earlier in the year. And uh, Jameis just hasn't been that good. Even if you watched that game last week uh, in some clutch spots, just threw, overthrew Evans really bad, skipped one to him when they needed a first down. Uh, so I think there's just a really, really low floor for Evans this week. Uh, T.Y., I mean, he only had seven targets last week, but he still led the team in targets. That is a game that I want to be uh, loading up on. But I think my problem with that is I just don't... If I'm paying up in that price range, um, he's pretty close to a guy like Jordy Nelson. I don't think you're going to roster two guys that are a little more expensive, especially at wide receiver this week. And I like Jordy more than him this week. Uh, so if I do look into that price range, it'll be Jordy instead of T.Y. I think I think those are all great points. I don't think either of those guys are cash game viable for me either. T.Y. just because of the decreased production on the road, Dante Moncrief's back. Of course, you know that's mm-hmm. a situation that Brandon Cooks was in, so I could definitely see playing him in a tournament. I, I don't like Evans in cash, but I like Evans a lot in a tournament because um, Tampa Bay's had two games this year 
where they've thrown over over 40 passes and those two games they actually threw 52 and 58 passes in both of those games the opponent scored 37 or more points so I like the idea of if you're gonna put a tournament lineup in with Breeze bring it back with Evans because the problem that Evans has been facing is over these last four games where his production has kind of been down um well not the Seattle game but the last three games uh, Winston has thrown 30, 26, and then 35 passes. Tampa Bay has been extremely conservative on early downs. But if we're betting on Breeze and the Saints offense scoring a lot of points in the dome, then I think Winston is forced to throw it in the high 30s or the 40s, or maybe it even gets up to the 50s. If so, I don't see any way Evans doesn't get double-digit targets with a shot at like one of those ridiculous 17 to 18 target games. So, Definitely like Mike Evans um, in tournaments, um, even more than than Ty, especially because, like you said, TJ, I don't think people will um, pay up for him as much this time because he they just played two weeks ago and he was very popular and he kind of let everybody down. So I think um, some people, you know, based on you know their emotions or whatever, will kind of say, you know, he burned me the last time. I learned my lesson, and I think this is the time that when we want to pounce. So I, I will probably. Be, probably be a bit overweight on him in tournaments but yeah I wouldn't I wouldn't touch him in cash this week I think you still have to um, pay up for for these running backs TJ which Chargers wide receiver out of Tyrell Williams Dontrell Inman or Travis Benjamin do you like the most for tournaments Uh, Benjamin is just not the, the type of guy that I'm ever excited about playing even though he does have that big play capability we saw it last week um just never really rostering three targets in my lineup if i could avoid it uh tyro williams is top 10 on the main slate and target share over the last six weeks uh led the team in targets last week 20 percent plus red zone target share over the last six weeks so um i'm willing to to pay up a little more and and get tyrell over his teammates this week yeah, I think I agree. I think I think actually more people will kind of trend toward Edmund because he's kind of had this little streak going where he puts mm-hmm. up these really solid games. Um, only had one, I think, real true upside game where I think he got over the 100 yards, but had a lot more solid games. But I still think Tyrell, just based on the talent um, and the way he's used down the field, has more upside there. And then Brandon Cooks or Michael Thomas, are any of these guys viable in cash at this point? It seems like the Saints... Uh, receiving core has been a little bit tougher to predict this year than we're accustomed to. Um, would you play either of them in cash, and who would you prefer in tournaments? No, uh, to steal a, a, a line from our boy Rumford Johnny, uh, give me the syrup, not the pancake. So I'll go with your advice. Uh, just give me Drew Brees, and I'm not not going to try to figure out uh, which pancake is, is going to get most of the syrup. Uh, on on DraftKings, Thomas is $800 cheaper than uh, Cooks. So just from a pure value perspective um i do like thomas i i'm really curious to see how ownership percentage shakes out i would i would assume that it would be higher on cooks coming off of his big game and because they're priced just 200 dollars apart on fanduel uh go with the guy that i think is going to be lower owned but um i i really like rostering cooks if, if their ownership is anywhere closer if it looks like it's going to be anywhere close then probably take cooks upside uh even if he's slightly higher on. Yeah, I don't I don't see too much of a difference between them at this point. Um like I would I'll probably 
if I'm having Bree stacks, I'm just I'm stacking them with all those guys in tournaments at different places and in cash. I'm just avoiding the whole situation and just taking all the production with uh, Breeze tight end. Cameron Brait for me, 5,600 on FanDuel, 3,900 on DK at the Saints. He's the top value at tight end on 4 for Force value reports on both FanDuel and DK. The Saints are 24th in schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed to the tight end position. Brait actually has the same amount of targets as Evans over the past three weeks. They both have 22. And on the season, Brait... And Evans have the same amount of red zone targets, 15, the same amount of targets inside the 10 at 7, and Brait actually has more red zone catches and touchdowns than Evans. So Brait has 9 catches in the red zone to Evans 7, and Brait actually has 7 touchdowns in the red zone to Evans 6. So I don't think there is um, a big discrepancy to the point where you have to pay up for Evans and cash again. Going back to that, I still love Evans as the tournament play because I... I also think Brait will be a popular tight end play. So I think, you know, if maybe if, if Evans kind of gets that a lot of the production or gets the scores instead of Brait, um, I think you can kind of gain some leverage pay up to be maybe a little bit contrarian. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm not exactly sure how the ownership's going to spread out, um, pan out, excuse me, for Evans. But I just know I want some exposure there in GPPs. But do like Brait a lot. It's kind of a safe cash game play. Um, one of my top tight ends just in raw projections this week. TJ? Yeah, Brait's probably my my top tight end. Probably will roll him out in 100% of cash. Uh, another tight end to really look at this week is Greg Olson. He's 6,800 on FanDuel, 5,200 on DraftKings. Facing the Falcons, been a little bit better against tight ends lately, but uh, we have seen him give up some really big games to tight ends as well. Olsen's a top three projected value uh, in terms of four for four projections on both FanDuel and DraftKings. Of players accounting for uh, 20% or more market share over the last six weeks, Greg Olsen's actually been the most consistent in terms of week-to-week target share. So not necessarily getting the most targets, but... Uh, Whereas he was one of the more inconsistent guys earlier in the year, we've really seen Carolina uh, target him in a very defined role. So there is something to be said for uh, being able to somewhat reliably project your tight end's exposure in his offense. So I think that's pretty important to note. The over-under is just 52 in this game with a spread of just 2.5. So even as underdogs, uh, Carolina has the fourth highest implied point total. Um, If they... Uh, cannon up on the winning side of it, which is suge- the spread suggests they can. Um, tight ends that have a high employed point total that are on the winning team tend to do very well. Yeah, I like it. You know, Greg Olson, I think he has a chance to be uh, the first tight end in history with, I believe it's three or four consecutive 1,000 yard seasons. So three, I think. Yeah, so they're going to probably try to get him the ball. Um, and it's a good matchup. My key stat, the New York Jets have allowed two multi-touchdown games to tight ends in their last three games. My key stat, over the last six weeks, Delaney Walker is the only tight end on the main slate seeing at least 25% of his team targets, and he's one of just three tight ends with at least 30% of his team's red zone targets. Yeah, I like that. The Jaguars have been vulnerable to the tight end position over the last couple of weeks as well. The Browns, speaking of vulnerable to the tight end position, are 28th in schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed to tight ends. 
We've seen guys like Jason Witten and Charles Clay just come alive against the Cleveland Browns. Can you play Antonio Gates or Hunter Henry this week, considering they're both kind of cannibalizing each other? Like, Gates is kind of still getting some targets, but Henry's actually getting some touchdowns lately, and it's just kind of a annoying situation. TJ, would you... How are you feeling about which which guy do you like more? I guess is is what I'm saying. And do you want to play them at all? Um, the, uh, first of all, I, this tight end situation there it's spread a little thin. I mean, uh, tight end is already a very um, high variant spot. We talked about the receivers. It's going to be really hard to nail down where the passes are going to go in this offense. Overall, um, this isn't a stat based take. No team wants to lose all their games. And if Cleveland's going to win a game this year, I think it's going to be against the Chargers. I mean, the Chargers might be the most demoralized teams in the league. Um, I don't think a lot of players on that team are excited to step out onto the field. Uh, living here in San Diego, if, if anybody saw it on TV, the Chargers stadium was basically a Raiders home game and if you watched any of the interviews after that game like the Chargers just didn't that they, they weren't excited about being Chargers they weren't excited about being on this team they just felt like they had no support it's like they're not playing for anything I mean you talked about the Jets I think the Chargers are kind of in the same boat and I think I mean Cleveland wants to win a game I I kind of think Cleveland wins this game and Chargers don't put up a lot of points despite the good matchup mm, bold call there and I mean that's really interesting because I was just about to ask you, like, how, you know, what is the path to the Chargers winning this game? I mean, excuse me, to the Browns winning this game. And I was going to ask you if you kind of saw more of a shootout. Or I guess you see more of a low-scoring game. I mean, the Browns' defense is so bad, though. Like, I, mm-hmm. I guess I could see, you know, the I did suggest playing the Raiders last week against the Chargers mm-hmm. because they've yep. been, I think their bottom five, the Chargers are, in schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed to opposing defenses. So I guess I could see a situation where the Chargers move it up and down the field, but, you know, Phillip Rivers throws a bunch of picks, and maybe they fumble a couple of balls, and maybe they get pick sixth or something like that. So I guess I could see that. You know, I was kind of thinking that, too, that, you know, if the Browns are going to win a game, it'd probably be against uh, the Chargers and not the Steelers. So we'll have to see how that uh, hot take turns out as well. Um if you if you if you nail that one, I mean, I hope you uh, put some uh, money on some offshore betting <laughs> betting lines on that one because uh, you can make some money there. Moving on, oh, Jason Witten went ten for fifty one last week, so I mean, a lot of catches, not a lot of yards. The Detroit Lions have been pretty bad against tight ends. Is Witten viable at all, or is it just not even worth it? I mean, if if you're playing like one of those smaller slates, I, I totally get it with uh, that game's on, on Monday night, I believe. So um, smaller slate, that's fine for me. I mean, the, the targets are going to be there. More of a DraftKings guy just because if you can get those seven or eight catches for 50 yards, that's a nice number um, on a tight end that isn't going to have a ton of upside. But um, on any full slate contest, I don't think I'm going to be rolling out with too much. Okay, so assuming there's like a Sunday primetime monday night slate I th- and i think there will be i mean it's not up yet but i mean yeah. on, on a holiday i'm pretty sure both sites will put up a sunday to monday slate yeah so that's where i was kind of going you're gonna have your choice between probably jesse james because i think Ladarius is gonna miss this game jesse james dennis pitta eric ebron or jason witten which of those four would you want to roll out in a tournament or i guess just which which one of those four do you think has the best chances of scoring the most points uh i'll 
probably go uh, James over Ebron over Pitta over Witten. Interesting. I yeah, that's I that's tough. Like I, I feel like it might be an Antonio Brown game. Like I'd probably go yeah. Mm, I I'd probably go Ebron first, honestly, mm-hmm. um, against that Cowboys zone, and then then Witten. James Pitta, just because I mean mm-hmm. Pitta, I just never know what to do with Pitta. Like right. he could catch like eight passes for like nine yards. <laughs> so yeah, um, that's that. Kicker Nick Novak is forty eight hundred at home against the Cincinnati Bengals, who rank twenty seventh in kicker adjusted fantasy points allowed. Novak is quietly third in points per game at ten point zero. He's one of three kickers averaging double digit FanDuel points. He scored eight or more in all but two games. In one of those games, he had seven. And in the other, it was a snowy game in Lambeau where he only had one. So pretty consistent. Um, good matchup. Home favorite. Got this. Got a better quarterback, so should be able to move the ball more um, than they have. So like Novak this week, TJ, who you got a defense? My top defense of the week is the New England Patriots. 5000 on FanDuel, $3,600 on DraftKings. Uh, I think you can afford to pay up for defense this week. I think you should be paying up for defense this week. New England's favored by 16.5. That's the biggest spread we've seen since week six of the 2013 season. Phillip Rivers is the only quarterback with a higher interception rate uh, than Bryce Petty over the last six weeks. Petty obviously hasn't played all of those games, but still turning the ball over at a very high rate. Uh, Expect New England to be up big, put pressure on the quarterback. That always leads to turnovers and fantasy points. New England Patriots on defense. Yeah, anytime you see a spread where it's like two touchdowns or more, I don't think you overthink it. I think you just go with them and cash and figure it out. The Jets are 3K on FanDuel in cash, yeah. so they've made a new salaries here for the Jets. Um, any interest whatsoever in using them at that ridiculous price? Not at all. That's like when, uh, I mean, for, for any of the old school DFSers, I think – there was one week where the Jaguars were like $27 on draft street against the Broncos. <laughs> and I, I think, I don't think they hit value. Yeah. I'm with you. I think, I think the most likely outcome for the jets is to score negative points. Honestly. Yes. Yeah. So I mean, sure. Their ceiling is zero. <laughs> right. It's like in West, what's that guy's name on new England that drops every punt? Um, Jones, oh, Cyrus yeah. Jones, <laughs> like, Cyrus like Jones, yeah. drops a punt right into the Jets' lap in like the end zone or something stupid like that. But um, yeah, it's it's just not worth it to me. I mean, I don't really see like I don't see this as a week where you're necessarily struggling for salary, honestly, on Fanduel. So I mean, I don't really love a lot of the the high end receivers. I and mean, then David Johnson's price came down eleven hundred, so he's you can fit him in. Breeze is only eighty five hundred. I mean, there's not really a great need to get to save that extra 1500 or so. And now for our DFS theory segment, we are going to welcome a special guest, 4 for 4s and Fantasy Labs' Joe Holka. You can find him on Twitter at Joe Holka. He has a website called PredictiveFantasySports.com where he has a bunch of his all of his actually rushing expectation articles, which are some really cool articles, so I suggest you check those out. But Joe took down first place in the 4 for 4 championship last week, and he had a really 
great lineup with some great contrarian plays. Now, it was a smaller tournament. I believe only 45 entrants. So he won with a top score of 173.46. But I wanted to have him on to break down his winning lineup because there are some contrarian plays in there. And I really thought it would be valuable to you guys to kind of see Joe's thoughts on how we arrived at some of these plays. So, Joe, what's going on? How you doing, man? Congratulations. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. Now that we got a couple weeks left, I got plenty of time to kind of screw it up. But last week was pretty fun, that's for sure. Yeah, man. Last time we had you on here, it was me and you going, and uh, I thought you were going to Wally Pip TJ. <laughs> I don't know about that. His music choice is probably a little better than mine, so I think he definitely hops me there for sure. <laughs> nah, man. You you brought it when I was out of town, and uh, you and I were kind of sweating your, your championship together. You actually uh, held pretty strong at the end. You were uh about one mike evans catch away from from getting caught and then at the end zeke one one big run would have uh would have taken it down for you so it's always hard to get that lead and then hold so that was fun to watch i mean yeah and it's not like mike evans really gets catches anymore so (laughs) probably less of a sweat than you really thought um but no you had a you had a really great lineup joe so i will read it off for the listeners and then we'll get into it yeah, Drew Brees at QB at 2.2%. He scored 33.4 points. Lev Bell at running back with Kenneth Farrell and David Johnson. Um, Bell was at 43.5%. Johnson at 41.3%. And Farrell at 21.7%. And then your key play, Brandon Cooks at 2.2%. So I'm guessing you were the only one that had him. Marquise Lee at 13%, who got that kickoff return touchdown. Aldrick Robinson at 17.4%. Jermaine Gresham at 17.4%. And the Patriots defense at 2.2%. So I'm guessing you're the only one that had them as well. So, Joel, we'll start it off. In my review com this week, I wrote about Brandon Cooks and how he wasn't really a logical choice if you are kind of more of the data-driven player. You're going to see his road splits and all that, and you're probably going to get off of him. And even if you're looking at it from a different angle, you're probably still worried about Patrick Peterson's coverage or you're worried about Michael Thomas coming back or you know just a variety of things, Drew Brees struggling lately. So I want to know, Joe, what got you on Cooks and Brees? Yeah, the Brees-Cook stack was obviously a big part of this lineup just because I did have some mistakes in there. But the biggest thing for me when constructing this particular lineup was that it was a pretty unique situation where I guess assume the majority of this small 45-person field was four-for-four four subscribers. So, Chris, I remember you saying something early in the season about going through your articles kind of to, to find where the low-owned and leveraged plays would be for this specific tournament. And that really stuck with me. So Breeze and Cooks was a stack that I kind of warmed up to as, as the week went on kind of across the board. But when I realized that none of us wrote them up, I pretty much had them locked in from Thursday on uh, for a couple of reasons. Breeze, his salary had dropped more than $500 over the past month. And it was only a slight underdog in a game that I thought had just as much of a chance as any to shoot out last week with all the weather concerns and a ton of games that were playing the the second game in the division of the season. So try to avoid those. But the other thing was the Cardinals defense had given up 28 points or more over the past month and a half. And I think a lot of people just see the Cardinals defense and automatically assume that when they're at home, that they should be avoided, but that just hasn't been the case lately. And I understand the whole home road splits with breeze, but 
to kind of unpack that a bit more as far as why he's better at home, it's because he plays indoors and he plays on turf. But Arizona, he was going to be indoors, and it's not artificial turf, but it's it's definitely some of the best field conditions in the league. And throwing the fact that he had struggled a bit lately in some pretty good spots, I was I was just hoping to get him at 5% or less in this tournament. And as far as Cooks, I was pretty confident that with Thomas back, that Cooks should kind of avoid Patrick Peterson. If that didn't happen, I was hoping that the Saints will kind of move him around a little bit and play him in the slot, obviously. But the main thing with the Cooks play is that I'm more interested in him at home for the reasons, uh, the same reason as Breeze, but I'm always more interested in a splash player like him when he's going to be lower owned and I'm definitely more likely to fade a player like that when people are on him. Great points. And I think another thing to think about with the whole Patrick Peterson thing, because I was kind of thinking about that too. And I, I thought that Peterson would be on him more than Michael Thomas. I thought he was the bigger threat, but what ended up happening was the Cardinals played zone coverage. And I, I think it was the first long touchdown Peterson actually did line up on Cooks, but it was a cover two flat zone, which for the listeners that don't know what that is, it's just when the cornerback stays in the flat and anytime a receiver on the outside goes deep, he gets passed off to a deep safety. And when Cooks got passed off by Peterson to the deep safety, the deep safety turned the wrong way and Cooks, you know, one of the fastest players in the league was able to just run right by him deep. So um, these things can always happen. We also saw a some a similar scenario where Golden Tate was seeing coverage from Janoris Jenkins and then Jenkins leaves the game and then like the next right after Tate gets loose on I believe it was Eli Apple for like a or Dominic Rogers Cromartie for like a 67 yard gain so you can always benefit from variance when you you have these low owned plays that are getting targeted and that you know have some upside so I really like what you did there Joe what tips going off you know your process and how you just talked us through with Breeze and Cooks what tips can you give the listeners out there to help them arrive at and then actually not be scared to play a contrarian stack like Breeze and Cooks yeah well something that I personally have really tried to improve on this year is not having lineups with just a bunch of middle of the road guys in terms of ownership so I think that from a more broad, like macro perspective, sticking to the ownership tails is just much more profitable. And in a tournament where you're trying to get first like this one, it makes a lot of sense to kind of use the chalkier advantage in situations with more guaranteed volume and then sprinkle in like some sub 5% options at positions that are typically a bit more volatile or even leverage a, a lower owned stack that you think has big upside. So if a low end play hits, it can make up for some of those bad calls, which this lineup obviously had plenty of, but even if they don't, you're probably drawing dead anyway, so you might as well take a shot on a guy that's going to have a chance to vault you up the leaderboard. That's a great point, and it reminds me of Nassim Talib in a book called Anti-Fragile where he talks about the barbell approach, which is kind of you want to go to the extremes on both sides. So in your case, Joe, talking about not fading the chalk, but also on the other end, having some of those low own plays in your lineup to balance it out rather than going with a bunch of guys that are like in the eight to 12% range, which, yep. you know, are probably going to be boomer bust. And that's why they're in that ownership range to begin with. TJ, I know you're a big fan of Nassim Tlaib and the barbell approach as well. Is that kind of how you're approaching your tournament lineups or are, uh, are you doing something different this year? Yeah, I mean, um, not always going with a 
like super high on guys, super low on guys. Sometimes a barbell approach can be as simple as going with a studs and duds approach in terms of salary. Um, but it's definitely something I take into consideration. And I, I did want to actually, I'm glad we brought this up because I wanted to ask you about this, Joe, because um, you and I talk a lot throughout the week about um, how we construct our tournament lineups. We we tend to favor these higher buy-in, smaller field tournaments. And a lot of times, uh, it can be optimal to to just play a cash lineup in these smaller fields, even if you're looking at something like 150 to 200 entries. And if I remember right, did you qualify with your cat with a cash lineup, Joe? Yeah, I did actually. Okay, so that's a really good point. Yeah, so I mean, I was just wondering if, like, this week, did you? Uh, what was kind of the the impetus and why you kind of went away from that strategy in a smaller field of just 45? I mean, it, it was a championship. So even though it wasn't um, huge money, you do kind of want to win the title. So first place is kind of a big deal. Uh, it, it was a little bit top heavy. I think about 15% of the money was up top. So that's not the flattest payout structure you're going to find. I mean, did, did any of those things... Um, uh, factor in, or were you just really, really interested in getting five free years to four for four.com? <laughs> yeah, that was a big part of it. <laughs> but uh, no, I, I think that, yeah, we definitely talk a lot uh, during the week about kind of game selection, that kind of stuff, because I've had the most success this year personally just going up in stakes a little bit and attacking those larger or those smaller fields uh, just because you you can make some more mistakes but there's a kind of a different uh, part of game theory involved as well because you can get some guys at really low ownership that are still in pretty good spots so that I prefer that but just in general in cash games I'm trying to do a little bit better about taking a couple guys that I think will be low owned because it's not just for guys for tournaments like if you have a guy that that you think's in a great spot that just the majority of the field isn't necessarily on. I don't think you necessarily have to get away from in tournaments just or in uh, in cash games just because he's going to not be one of the chalk players. I think that there's a lot of uh, leverage opportunities in taking shots on guys in cash games or even on DraftKings on the, in the earlier slates taking shots on guys that have a little bit more variance and you can always lay swap to some other guys later depending on if you're ahead or if you're behind. Yeah, those are some great points. And for the listeners out there, I actually had to just explain this to one of my friends who kept telling me he's losing like 300 bucks a week on Millie Maker entries. And I told him, I said, you know, if that's all you're playing, like if you're, if you have 300 bucks a week to play, like, you know, enter the 33 out of three man or enter a couple of power sweeps or just enter some higher stakes because you actually need, there's less rake number one, and you need lower scores usually to take it down. And a lot of people don't necessarily realize that if they're restricting themselves to maybe the three or four dollar or the slant or the um, or the Millie Maker or tournaments like that or the equal tournaments on FanDuel, um, you don't realize that when you go up in stakes, you actually need less of a score and the rake is lower. So there's definitely um, a lot of positives to moving up in, in stakes, and so that was a great point by both of you guys. Um, Joe, you went with Le'Veon Bell and David Johnson. That was a combined over 20K of salary. They were both 40 plus percent owned, and I'm sure you knew they were going to be around that. Why did you end up going that route versus, say, with Sean McCoy, Ezekiel Elliott, or Devontae Freeman? Yeah, that was the other main decision of the week uh, for a lot of my lineups. But for the most part, just from a game theory perspective, it 
played out pretty close to how I thought it would. Yes, David Johnson and Le'Veon Bell were each over 40% owned, but only 13% of the field had both. So I just thought that it would give me kind of a unique lineup construction. And it's never comfortable searching for those punt players. And I think a lot of people um, outside of our bubble aren't really excited about playing a guy like Aldrick Robertson. So even in like a small field like this where people are kind of going to be playing him more safe, I was hoping that I could get both of those guys together at a lower ownership than then just playing one of them and then one of the other guys. Great point. And I think that's something always to keep in mind when you are trying to decide what studs you're going to play. You kind of have to, if you were projecting ownership for studs, and let's say you have 40 times, 40% for both guys, you kind of have to figure like, and this is just a rough projection, but you kind of have to say, okay, if 40% are in one and 40% are in the other, maybe roughly about 16% of the field, if you do 40 times 40, are going to be in both. Now, sometimes it might be more, you know, it could even be less, but just as a rough projection, you kind of have to say, okay, like like Joe mentioned, you know, there aren't a lot of uh, people that are going to feel comfortable going to the other depths in the low end of salary. So you could still gain some differentiation just through roster construction. Speaking of roster construction, Emmanuel Sanders was in 13% of lineups. Trevor Simeon was in 11%. And Demarius Thomas was in 9%. So a fair amount of Broncos ownership... Joe, you went with the Patriots defense. Looks like you were the only person with them. They scored 17 points at 2.2% ownership. Were they a leverage play off the anticipated ownership of the Broncos offense? Or did you just think they were a great play based on adjusted fantasy points allowed or being a favorite even though they were on the road or what? That was one of the first things I checked when uh, the contest started was I wanted to see the ownership. So I was pretty happy to get Patriots at 2.2%. The main thing was all three of us rode up some sort of combination of those guys in one way or the other on 4 for 4 this week. So I had kind of a hard time getting there in this lineup to any of those guys. So I figured I'd kind of go the other way. And since I had Breeze and Cooks jamming in both DJ and Bell, there's really no way I was going to get to play either DT or Sanders. So and wasn't going to go there with Simeon. But um, one thing I knew I wanted in this tournament was a low owned defense in this kind of field size. So it was basically between the Vikings, who ended up being a little bit higher than I thought at 6.5, and the Patriots. So also, props to Rumford Johnny, who was pretty high on the Pats last week, talked about it on mine and uh, Mike Taglier's podcast. And one thing that was uh, really appealing to me about them in general was that we knew the, po- the passing volume would be there from Simeon. And the Patriots have been really close to some big games already this year and some big spots. So I thought it'd be a good chance to go back to them, roll the dice on them, and try and leverage the fact that I knew that I couldn't afford either of those wide receivers and that I was hoping that other people will be playing them. So if they didn't play well, hopefully the defense would do well. Great point. Great explanation. And I think that's something that to keep in mind when, for the listeners out there, when you guys are making your tournament lineups, you know, all of us writing, doing these write-ups, we're doing our research pretty much from Monday to Thursday. And then our our write-ups either come out on Thursday or Friday. So, you know, once everyone's write-ups are out, you probably want to look through those and try to find at least one player that no one wrote up because the that means that a lot of more other you know novice players or people that are kind of going straight off the write-ups aren't really going to probably have them in their lineups and even a lot of the experts aren't going to have them in their lineups so you know even when I do my write-ups 
I still try to look at my own write-ups and try to say, okay, these are the players that came to me uh, for the first four or five days of the week and just try to force myself to play a couple of guys that I just wasn't on for the same reason um, I think that you, you know, kind of mentioned when you talked about Brandon Cooks and Drew Brees. It's just you need some plays that are going to be a little bit uncomfortable but are going to be low-owned and kind of differentiate you and can make up for maybe an error or two that you're going to have. So I think that's a, a good tip for the listeners out there. I know you guys are probably consuming a lot of content. If, you, if you're taking the time out to listen to our podcast, you're probably consuming 4 for 4 content and, you know, content on the other great sites out there. So, you know, if you can just find at least one or two guys who nobody wrote up, nobody's talking about, but maybe for what, maybe, you know, they just have a good schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed matchup or they have a good, you know, they've been getting a, a lot of volume and no one's really t- talking about it. Or they're getting a lot of usage in scoring position or whatever reason you can find in GPPs. I think you just need in cash games. You, you usually want to have a multitude of reasons to play a guy, but in GPPs, you're usually going to have with a low owned play, a ton of reasons not to play a guy. But the way I like to look at it is you only need one reason to play a guy. So I think um, that's a really good tip for you guys out there. Joe Aldrick Robinson ended up being in 17.4% of lineups while Taylor Gabriel ended up in just 4.4%. Did you go with Aldrick as leverage off Gabriel thinking he was going to be higher owned or was it simply a price-based decision? Yeah, it was, it was a little bit price-based. Um, my Twitter feed was flooded by Adam Levitan all week talking about Lord Aldrich and the preseason love, and he tends to be pretty spot on with these type yep. of uh, players. He's so a preseason was, whisperer, exactly. So it's, I start, I listened to him when he kind of talks up those guys, and it was pretty clear that he was going to play him too. So I was definitely looking at Aldrich Robinson quite a bit across the week, and I wasn't really on Gabriel much at all. Haven't played him um, probably as much as I should have, but he just seems kind of gadgety to me, and he's basically living off touchdowns at this point, but. His price is like pretty high for a player like that that's not going to see a ton of targets, in my opinion. And after scoring again last week, I'm sure it's going to be the case again. But really wanted to get in Farrow in my flex and also wanted to get up to Marquise Lee so that I could kind of fade J.J. Nelson. But we can talk about that in a bit. But, yeah, it was both basically a price-based decision, but a lot of it had to do with uh, how high Adam was on him. TJ, were you thinking the same thing this week? Did you have more exposure to Aldrick or Gabriel? Yeah, I ended up with uh, with quite a bit of Aldrich on on DK, and it was a it was a really late decision because we were waiting on Julio news, and even if Julio did play, I didn't think he'd be a big factor, but that would have been another body out on the field. Um, so I the the week before, I actually played Gabriel, thinking that he was going to be more of a, a target guy, but Falcons made it pretty clear that uh, kind of as Joe described it, kind of a gadget guy, uh, try to get some big plays with him, so. Once, once it was 100% that Julio was out, um, Aldrich was actually slid into cash lineups for me. I actually want to talk about this for a second. Guys, we've seen guys like Taylor Gabriel, Tyreek Hill, just kind of beast lately. Just, you know, when they touch, they don't touch the ball a ton necessarily, but when they do, they score touchdowns. So what are, I guess I'll start with you, Joe. Like, what is your stance on playing guys like that? Because... I know we do a lot of work about, you know, targets being the most correlated thing, the fantasy production, but I found myself playing those guys quite a bit just because, you know, I think a lot of people, you know, they they kind of stubbornly want to roster only like quote unquote good players and, you know, that kind of, you know, 
leads them to roster guys that maybe they shouldn't. But then at the same time, you know, with these guys, it's kind of like if I can get a guy, you know, under the average salary that he's like probably more of a threat than like 96% of the league to score a touchdown when he touches the ball. I feel like I want to have those guys because those are the guys that, you know, they can, they can just go for like, especially on DraftKings, they can go like one play, two plays, and they're at that bonus. So like, how have you kind of been dealing with playing guys like that? Like, I think Taylor Gabriel is way too expensive this week, but just in general, you know, late in the season, especially like how are you looking at guys like this are you trying to play the regression angle and say well I hope these guys you know stop scoring all these touchdowns are you just like you know what like most people aren't healthy at this time of year these guys are just looking explosive I want to get these guys in my lineup yeah I think there's something to be said for targeting upside with some of these pawn players as well not necessarily just targets and floor because you do need that upside a lot of times Um, maybe it's a hole in my process I tend not to play guys like that in cash games in general, but it's something that, I mean, I, I definitely take your point that if you can make your, your whole week for that player to hit value on one or two plays, maybe we should be considering them a little bit more, especially with some of those lower price guys where their ceiling isn't very high anyway. You're hoping that they're going to get you their 10 points or whatever, and they'll hit three X and you can move on. But the thing is with a lot of those plays, they don't really have the upside, which is why I kind of regretted playing a guy like Jermaine Gresham in general just because I wasn't sure how ups- how big his upside was. But as far as the gadgety type players like Gabriel, maybe I should be considering them more because I haven't played him a whole lot at all this year, to be honest. What about you, TJ? Um, I'm, I'm kind of a little bit more on Joe's side in that, especially in cash games, I do want some kind of um, predictable value. I mean, I talked about a guy like... Uh, Gabriel, who I played a couple weeks ago, and that was more just kind of trying to look forward, expecting that with Julio out, he could see an uptick in volume. That didn't end up being the case. He still performed well um, in the game a couple of weeks ago with the long touchdown, but that was on just three targets. Um, even in tournaments, I think I just my uh, I, I think this kind of comes down to uh, like a psychological thing and kind of just how uh, risk averse you are, where you like to take on your risk. I, I think some people just are naturally more inclined to uh, be attracted to those big boom bust plays, not even just in terms of fantasy points, but in terms of uh, plays and exciting plays. Um, and I think that probably has to do a little bit with people that are uh, more visual, want to see see their players on the highlight reel. Um, and probably that's uh, that, that could be a good thing because that's not how a lot of us data-driven guys think. So I think naturally I'm just a, a little more uh, adverse to players like the the Taylor Gabriels and even like the, I guess not so much lately, but the Cordero Pattersons of the world. Yeah, I think, I think I was a lot more adverse last season, but I also think this season is a lot different from last season where last season we saw a ton of running back injuries and that kind of opened up value with the cheap running backs every week. And so the way to win a tournament last year was more so we needed to jam in those stud receivers. This year, these running backs are healthy, getting historic usage, and so you need to kind of find more value at receivers. So sometimes I find myself, you know, paying up for guys like Le'Veon and DJ, well, most of the time, actually, and LaShawn McCoy and Zeke, and then when I get to my receivers, I'm trying to just say, okay, what is the most speed 
that I can get in my lineup right now. Like just playing guys like JJ Nelson, Taylor Gabriel, Tyreek Hill, Travis Benjamin, Deshaun Jackson, and just trying to get the right combination in a given week, you know, trying to get a couple of those guys to hit because, um, you know, like I said, those guys can change things on one play. And I also think there's something to be said, especially late in the season when these running backs have been doing their thing all year and their prices are pretty much at their max point. When you can see some of these explosive receivers that can still run, because almost everyone's hurt at this time of year. So when you see guys like Taylor Gabriel, who's just looks fresh every week and Tyree killed you. They just look fresh every week and they're just running away from these defenses that are also hurt. I think there's something to say for just kind of um, taking some risk with those um, speed guys. Um, even a guy like Brandon Cooks, you know, hasn't really been on the injury report much. Um, and, you know, it showed last week where he's just running by people. So um, I think it's a really interesting thing to explore further. Um, but let's move on to Ryan Griffin you mentioned Joe, uh, Jermaine Gresham. You were concerned about his upside. Him and Ryan Griffin ended up in 17.4% of the 4 for 4 championship lineups each. Did you ever consider going with Griffin? Um, and what ultimately made you go with Gresham? Yeah, I considered Griffin for sure, but Gresham fit more in line with my plans to kind of stack up the Saints-Cardinals game. I wanted some sort of a game stack there, and I knew I wouldn't be able to afford fits and to be honest, we, J.J. Nelson seemed like a pretty good tournament fade to me. He ended up with around 25% ownership in this tournament. So as far as those players that we kind of were just discussing, I think I'm more apt to kind of take a shot on a guy like that if he's going to be lower owned. But if a guy that I'm not even sure about his target share is going to be around 25%, and especially in J.J. Nelson's case where I wasn't even sure if Carson Palmer was going to throw the ball down the field, seemed like a pretty good fade if I was going to, kind of stack up that game in general i didn't want to have three cardinals on this team um so i basically was between playing jj nelson and playing gresham so maybe in hindsight i shouldn't have played marquise lee and should have played jj nelson and then ryan griffin but it's easy to say that after the fact yeah definitely and i mean it's it's always it's always tough to look back and say that and i think i think that was a, a good thing you did you did have that game stack um where you ended up with with a you know you had David Johnson in there you had Gresham so you still you still um had a a pretty correlated situation there and then you know Marquise Lee I guess that was just one another one of those situations where it was just kind of out of the blue that he didn't really catch a pass um luckily he scored on that uh, kickoff return uh, Joe what contrarian stack um do you like this week yeah, something I do on Fantasy Labs is I have these special trends in this model just to kind of find value and then find uh, lower end uh, or lower end uh, ownership players that kind of could go underlooked. Uh, one of the trends that I really like uh, actually came from Jonathan Bale's latest book. It has to do with recent market share yards and then low long term market share yards, and then also one with recent market share yards and low recent actual yards. So there are players that kind of pop up in this and Richard Matthews is someone that's been really high in my tournament model for wide receivers the past couple weeks he was really close to getting a touchdown in uh, last week's game so I had a ton of Richard Matthews last week he was around zero to one percent most of the tournaments I was in and I think he'll still be under five percent this week so really like Mariota to Richard Matthews this week they are at Jacksonville but they're a favorite sorry they're their favorite this week I believe and 
even though Jacksonville has been pretty good against the pass, I think that it might be a good chance to kind of jump on them where they're kind of reeling. They haven't been playing well. And uh, I think Mariota's rushing ability could kind of negate that uh, bad matchup on paper. And I think you could get both of them at under 5%. So that's, that's what I'm looking towards kind of early in the research process here. I actually love that. I was looking at a stat. Mariota was actually the QB2 on FanDuel and the QB4 on DraftKings from week 5 to 12. And then he went on the bye, and then he had these two really bad games, um, some cold weather situations and things like that. So I, I actually really like that stack um, to come back you know, with Matthews. Matthews has been very consistent aside from a one one really slow game against Denver, and I believe he got a touchdown call back in that game. So um, I like that one. TJ, you got any contrarian stat calls for this week? <clears throat> yeah, I think um... – Someone that we mentioned earlier in the pod is uh, Blake Bortles, the other side of that game. I think a lot of people are going to ignore the good matchup against Tennessee because of what you talked about, Chris. People want to play, quote-unquote, good players. Uh, I think Bortles and and Robinson, uh, despite the good matchup, I think they could end up being uh, really under-owned. So I'll probably be rolling out quite a bit of that game on both sides. I'm really glad Joe brought up. Uh, Rashard Matthews because he's a guy that I was really zeroed in on last week Uh, it's always surprising to me as much as us in the community harp on these numbers like market share I think um, it's one of those stats that still goes way undervalued and and Matthews market share has been huge over the last few weeks Uh, we know Bortles can be a a garbage time hero we've seen it going back to the beginning of last year and uh, if they do end up even if they don't end up way behind which they're they're underdogs by I think four points um, just a good matchup all around love it and that's actually funny because I actually was writing up um, stacks for 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 one of my articles tomorrow and I actually wrote up uh, Mariota Matthews Robinson um, <laughs> <laughs> which is hilarious but um and yeah and I could see going Bortles too I actually think uh, I probably would say Mariota would be even lower owned than Bortles um, just because I think Bortles is, what, min-priced now on DraftKings, um, which I'm sure will attract some ownership. Like, I think Mariota might be, like, 1%, where Bortles might be, like, more like 5 But I like the stack either way. Mm-hmm. I think it'll be a really low-owned um, stack. I also think an interesting stack um, that probably another 3% or less will be on is uh, Jared Goff to Kenny Britt. I think that the Rams, they got a new coach now finally. You know, they played Seattle in their last game, so, like, you can't even judge that on a short week. Now they've had a long week to um, to, to, to prepare for San Francisco, who's just full-on tank mode. They're 30th versus uh, schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed to quarterbacks and uh, 27th to wide receivers in PPR, 30th in standard. So um, just a horrible defense all around, I think, there will be a lot of ownership on Todd Gurley, and I like that as a leverage play. So some 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 interesting stacks here. We'll see how those turn out. We can uh, we can see next week. We might we might have to do this every week actually. Just get a little <laughs> yeah. contrarian. It will be a, a new segment next season. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, we're going throughout the playoffs, guys. So maybe we can do it. We can do it for the rest of the season, and then yeah, we'll keep it going next season. But uh, Joe, I really want to thank you for coming by, stopping by. Congratulate you again on taking down the 4 for 4 championship. You've been having a lot of success. I know you did really well in the in the FanDuel one last year as well. So thanks for coming on. Um, you know, TJ, you founded a site called Roster Coach Joe. 
you are a coach on it. Why don't you talk to the listeners a little bit about a roster coach really quickly? Yeah, Roster Coach is a site that TJ founded, obviously, but I've been lucky enough to be a part of it this year. It's just a really good uh, video education site for DFS players of pretty much all skill levels, but you get to kind of look over our shoulder and see our thought process. And then we've had a lot of success this year with our one-on-one coaching sessions as well. So if anything kind of comes up during the week and you don't get to do as much research as you want, you can kind of pick our brain on the on the picks of the week that we like, or you can just talk in general about what maybe your process is and how you can improve. And there's been a lot of different ways we can take those that have been really helpful to people this year. Definitely. Make sure you guys check it out. Rostercoach.com. Again, you can find Joe Hoka on Twitter at Joe Hoka. You can find TJ on Twitter at TJ Hernandez. And just want to let you guys know early bird subscriptions for four for four are available now at discounted rates from what it will cost um, if you're going to subscribe next year and you will get the rest of this year free all of our dfs content and projections run throughout the playoff championship weeks for all of you dgens out there so be sure to check that out you can find a link um, on my pinned tweet and i'm on twitter at chris raybon any last words guys mary mary shmoney stack that shmoney let's get this shmoney